0: Welcome to episode 491 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, August 25th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saracino. How's it going?
1: It's going good. It's almost the weekend, and this week has been rough. My uh, two-year-old, my almost three-year-old has some maladies and has been home, and uh, my five-year-old is just in his first week of kindergarten, which ends at 11.45, and somehow have to complete all three of my jobs uh, while also picking people up and dropping them off and dealing with them. So, uh,
0: yeah, I'm glad it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm out here trying to avoid Hurricane Harvey, or at least yeah. the offshoots thereof. It's not sideways, sideways rain out there. Yeah, with some sideways rain. I mean, it came quickly too. It was this thing where it's been kind of gloomy all day, but then it got super dark and then sideways rain. But the thing of it is in Austin, it can happen for like five minutes and then go. So that's exactly what happened. It went for five minutes. It looked devastating. And then it's trickled down and it's supposed to flare back up again later tonight and a lot tomorrow and Saturday. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm good to go. I don't think there's going to be any real trouble here in Austin outside of some flooding in different spots. And hopefully we are on the first floor, so hopefully we don't get hit with flooding but it would be fun to watch charlotte swim around the apartment at least <laughs> at the very least uh you know we got a little tight show here um up against some some clock for both of us so let's go ahead dive right in and i'm just gonna ask the most burning question on everybody's mind right now is reese hoskins a legit beast <laughs> yes this guy is out of his mind now you uh, Carson and Dave Cameron wrote about him recently, so we've got him covered from all angles. I was really interested in some of the stuff that you wrote about him, so I'm curious your thoughts on Reese Hoskins and his beastliness. Yeah, I had
1: another moment with him. I was like, My Michael Conforto, rest in peace. Um, uh, moment we'll talk about that in a moment, unfortunately, where uh, I walked up to him and was like, You know, you're amazing, you hit so many fly balls, and yet you make a lot of contact. Um, and he's like yeah, yes <laughs> yeah. uh, I asked him about the leg kick and he he did sort of add that in the pro ball and he thought uh it was just it wasn't so much that it was good for his power that it was uh more you know good for his timing um which is something you'll hear from leg kick guys but he, you know in general he's he said he ascribed to the justin Turner philosophy which was to go out and go get the ball and uh, that that led to this whole piece that I wrote about uh, how Justin Turner told me that two years ago and I didn't quite get it and um, uh, the journey that I had to go through to get it because it's not pulling the ball. You know, you know, right now, Hoskins is pulling the ball about Correct. league average and Justin Turner actually pulls the ball at less than league average. It's more about being aggressive and I think maybe, I didn't get into this in the piece, but I think it might be about getting the ball before it drops. So you're
0: getting it at a at a higher point, I think um, Josh Donaldson obviously gets lumped in when we talk about all this too. He's mentioned that, and in, in that, in, I believe in that that kind of famous uh, clip that he did for MLB Network, where he's like looks at the camera and says, "Tells kids, don't hit down on the ball. Tell your coach to to get real with that." Uh, I think he talks a lot about hitting out front as well and getting to it before it breaks. So this is obviously something. There's a there's a group of guys that have kind of get lumped into this for the late bloomer fly ball revolution thing however you want to call it hoskins 24 years old but never really a, a huge prospect so i think you could fit him into that late bloomer sort of deal because he's looking like somebody who's going to be an impact bat now for the phillies he's got eight homers in 15 games but beyond that uh 29 in 115 triple a games this year 38 in 135 double a games last year i mean we've, we're seeing this power now since 2016, and is going across three different levels, double-A, AA, triple-A, and now the majors. The majors obviously a tiny sample, but I think there are uh, you know, foundational skills behind what Reese Hoskins is doing, so I'm pretty excited about him.
1: Yeah, I think he also offers us a way to look at these new stats that we've got. We've finally got these minor league ground ball fly ball rates, and we talked about mm-hmm. it with Ahmed Rosario, Ozzy Albies, and who was the third person? I forget. Mercado? Mm, no. Somebody. Uh, but we talked about it with the trio of prospects. And I think it sort of played out as you've seen. I mean, yes, Ahmed Rosario has hit some, some home runs, but uh, you know, if you compare their pop, I, I still think I'd take Albies' pop. And Albies was the one who had the bigger fly ball rate in the minor leagues. Now you look over at Hoskins and you see a 50% whopping fly ball rate. And that alone is, I think, something that should raise your eye- eyebrows. Because he did that, yes, at Double A Reading, and he hit 38 homers, and that's easy to spot. But if you want to say, well, you know, I don't trust uh, WRC plus in the minor leagues because it's not park adjusted. I don't know how to adjust that 38 home run de- number down, personally, because it's it's reading, and I don't have the financial, I don't have the number, the analytical tools to know what that 38 means, you know. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. it's a lot better to go and say, oh, look, he hit 51% fly balls there and had power. Then you look at A ball, 54%. You look at AAA, 49%. So you say, here's a guy who has a power approach. So I can believe that he, you know, and since you you added back in the results, and you say, okay, this is a guy who has real power. And uh, then personally, I, you know, we talk all the time about strikeout rate. I I care about strikeout rate. Uh, I know that, you know, We're talking about the the cream of the crop here when we do fantasy analysis. I mean, if you're a major league team, you can be like the Astros when they they were first starting out. Or you can be like the Brewers right now where you collect guys who strike out a lot because they're cheaper, because they won't have good batting averages, because they're available, and because you're just trying to get a team together. Uh, But if you look at what the Astros and Cubs did in the past when they had big strikeout teams, they went and got Ben Zobrist. They went and got uh, Josh Reddick. They went and got guys who don't strike out as much to give yeah. their lineup versatility, to tamp that strikeout rate down, uh, and to be that kind of final piece of the puzzle. Since we're dealing in fantasy, we can skip the first part. I mean, unless you're in a deep league, in a deep league, you can say, "Okay, I'm going to go get you know a 28% strikeout rate right guy because
0: it's a way to get you know Keon Broxton is a way to get some steals and homers on the cheap." It- It kind of works the same way where you can get them cheaper, but... uh, If you want a stud... (laughs) Yeah, you you want that strikeout rate down. It's very rare that you're going to have a high 28% or higher strikeout rate guy who's also a total beast. By the way, it's kind of interesting how the Astros have gone complete 180. They are now the least... Uh, yeah. the lowest strikeout team in the league at 17%. Um, yeah. and, and it's two percentage points even better than the next team there. So that, that that's pretty interesting.
1: I wrote about that phenomenon for The Athletic earlier, uh, maybe last week or this week, about how um, the A's have built you know their core with some guys who strike out a lot. Matt Chapman, I like him. Matt Olson, I like him. Chad Pinder, I even like him. But all those guys combined strikeout rate is like 20, 28 30%. I don't think Davis is necessarily part of their core going forward but
0: That's that's true. He's but, 20. He's like 28, 29, so
1: he might not even be on like they're going to trade him next. But their core time. is going to be 30 percent strikeout rate because so they're going to be looking for the Josh Reddick's and Carlos Beltrán's of the world later on. Haven't they had both
0: of those guys? Was Beltrán an A?
1: No. I'm making things up. Reddick came
0: through there. Um we have to play either or then uh with with Reese Hoskins because you know, I, I think he's kind of playing himself into some keeperdom for some folks. We know that because that, I think he'll be cheap, so we, we don't have to worry about that. But I want to focus a little bit on, on 2018, what he might look like amongst the, uh, the the first base groups. So let me hit you with some names. I'm going to start a little bit high, maybe. You'll, uh, you'll be the judge of that, I guess. Reese Hoskins for 2018 or Jose Abreu? Well, with this
1: massive fly ball rate and the difficulty in translating, I think, minor league stats to major league stats, um, you know, I think I'm going to take the over on Hoskins' projections. So I think I'm going to give him something like 275 uh, batting average, 370 on base percentage, and um, got like a 550 slugging, um, which would turn yeah. him into a That's 35 nice. home run hitting guy at least.
0: So two seventy five, thirty five. So basically, smoke from this year, Justin Smoke from this year, did uh, about what you said. He's now smokes two eighty seven, three sixty five, sixty six, but he has thirty four homers. Uh, that's about wh- where you're at, right? I mean, yeah. look, it smoke's a little bit, smoke's a little bit higher this year because obviously he still has a month left. All the
1: projections have Hoskins striking out a little bit more than I think too, so there might be some some give there, maybe two eighty, but um. Jose Abreu this year is probably going to hit 295 with 30 homers. So that uh, strikeout rate is a little bit safer. And, and you know, he has the ground ball-fly ball mix of a
0: safer batting average. You know, 40% ground Abreu balls, does. 35% fly balls. Yeah. But Hoskins walks more, so he's going to have his on-base covered a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, way better.
1: So, uh, yeah, interesting guy. I think um, Jose Abreu's 30. Uh, it might be aggressive. If I get any if you give me any rounds at all, then I'd take Hoskins. And you might, you know, Abreu's probably going to go higher. So
0: It's going to depend like if if Hoskins has a silly September with like 12 more homers and so he ends up, you know, if he goes Gary Sanchez. Oh, it's
1: so expensive.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean if it's a straight up choice, I, there's something about Abreu's floor that I like.
1: I mean, the worst case scenario probably projection-wise next year is 290-27 homers. And that batting average is just so rare these days. And I exactly. think Exactly. From a power hitter no less. Yeah, and even with Hoskins' nice strikeout rate, the fly ball rate, the one thing that still exists a little bit is you know, when you're at fifty percent fly balls, you are hitting pop-ups, and uh, you you do have a chance of having more like a two fifty or two sixty batting average, which is fine. It's, it won't take a lot away from Hoskins, but it'll keep him from stardom super stardom in fantasy. Uh, in the meantime, because uh, batting average is so rare. And especially Agreed. if you're in like those 10 to 12 team leagues, I'd rather have a brave because in those 10 to 12 team leagues, you're always protecting your batting average. I feel like,
0: you know... That's a great call because you can always find the whole the, the counting categories with the with the batting average flaw on the wire so you want the guy who actually hits 290 that you keep in your lineup so eileen abray you there as well uh it's Which a lot closer than i thought so it was yeah right isn't that yeah. nuts yeah um what about ryan zimmerman obviously had the amazing yeah, I'm, year i'm going to the hoskins pretty quickly. i, I have two yeah, for yeah. the age alone i think yeah. I, i'm going there
1: yeah, and for what it's worth, Ray, who was like a year too older, I might, I might, even with this year he's having, I might jump ship because, you know, Zimmerman is going to be thirty-three next year, and I think the new, you know, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight is thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five. I mean, I think that's, I think that's, that's fair. Sort of what aging curves are doing.
0: These so years. now, if if we start to think maybe Hoskins, okay, I, I think we did some rosy outlook on him. What about in comparison to say Eric Thames? Like, hey, well, let's let's pattern out something that uh, map out something that says maybe it doesn't work quite as well for Hoskins, yeah, maybe and he doesn't. He out. Yeah, maybe maybe he starts strike out a little bit more closer to the uh, to the projections there, which are low twenties. Although Zips has him twenty eight percent, I don't see that. But maybe twenty two, twenty four. I think I still take area. him
1: over a guy like Zimmerman because of the injury risk and the age risk, and um,
0: you know. What about versus Eric Thames, though?
1: Oh, just straight up versus Eric Thames. Um, yeah, well, you know, Eric Thames is going to be 32 next year, too. I, I, think, um, I think I'd think still I'd still take Hoskins. I, I don't want to be, you know, beholden to that kind of the recency bias, but... Um, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Thames is steal some bases, um, and he's going to hit 33, 34, 35 homers. Um and he's on the other side of some of these adjustments, I guess. That That's an interesting one for me
0: because I, I think obviously a lot's going to be decided in how Hoskins finishes up. So I understand that. But I do think that uh, that, that we're looking pretty high on him, and he's going to be somebody worth discussing even further in the offseason once uh, once we put a bow on the season and, and, and kind of figure out where those bottom line numbers are for two months for Hoskins because, like I said, he could go Gary Sanchez on the league and, and you know end up with 20-something homers in two months, and so that's kind of amazing. So uh, Reese Hoskins, again, plenty of pieces to check out. I linked Eno's piece, Carson's, and uh, Dave's pieces are are on Hoskins' profile as well. So uh, let's move on, talk about a couple of injuries. You mentioned RIP Michael Conforto, shoulder injury. Didn't look great. What's your outlook there on Conforto?
1: Yeah, it's pretty bad because it's a shoulder capsule injury. That's a type of injury that really – uh, destroys pitchers' careers. It's the kind of uh, uh, Johan Santana injury. Isn't this what Urias had? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were, we were talking in hushed tones about, you know, pitchers not too long ago about their outcomes. And hitters are different. You know, you can you can get a, a Tommy John surgery and be back in like six months and, and, and be fine. Um, it's not necessarily uh, the same in terms of outcomes. But then I just read a thing on Twitter about uh the i think maybe the doctor who's going to do the surgery or at least a a doctor that advises the mets saying he may not get back like even if the he said the the quote was something along the lines of if even if he the surgery goes well and he really has the crap out of this he may not get back so it's uh it's really sad and i think it's really sad on like you know mets fandom sad uh mets team sad they're kind of They could come together if their pitchers were healthy next year. They could be really good. Uh, But it's also Mm -hmm. sad, and of course it's sad for the player, but I think it's also sad in a way for baseball fans in general, even not Mets fans, because I think Conforto is a star. And, you know, if he never proves that to everybody, I think that would be, you know really sad like if he never really if if, if he gets back and he's not as good as he was then people will never know how good he was you know
0: exactly because i know you specifically uh see him as as a very high upside guy who can eventually hit lefties and like become a superstar in this league yeah I and mean, he
1: sprays the ball with power uh gap to gap and has elite plate discipline i mean he could be Votto-esque with you know a little bit more defensive value because he's roaming the outfield so
0: yep so, I mean, that's – I really hope this isn't something that, that severely dents Conforto's career because uh, it's it's really rough to see because this guy has a very, very bright future. Uh, if things go go well for him, let's maybe talk about a few guys who you could get to replace him. Let me give you some names here. Let me know what you think about them. How about Eddie Rosario? He's been a popular one. I know he's starting to get picked up more. Eh, Never mind. He's, t- he's too highly owned uh he's at sixty six percent at e s p n so that's gonna be too much uh let's see how about somebody like matt joyce he's got nineteen homers on the year. he's hitting for, for for some power of late uh has four homers in the last uh ten days or so obviously you know he's a lefty he's a righty killer as as a lefty guy hes somebody you could see as an at
1: yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh it's not fun to play him in cold Oakland, uh, on a night like tonight. Um and uh you know, you really have to have two spots because you you can't play him you know, all the time. Uh he won't even play against lefties, so yeah, Joy, Joyce is a
0: straight up platoon guy. I, I got it's one. It's a little for bit like you JSO, then. though, uh, where
1: you know, um, they're they so good
0: against righties that people didn't realize that. Exactly. It, it kind of sneak You're know, like, oh, well, he put up a whole season worth of numbers just in his work against righties that you don't even really worry about the fact that he doesn't play against lefties. But I got one here. You're sacrificing some of the power because Conforno broke out on power this year. But Howie Kendrick is quietly having a hell of a season now with Washington, started with Philly uh always like i said only seven homers but 10 stolen bases 335 385 512 triple slash for a 33 year old kendrick he's pretty widely available is he somebody you might think as a pickup uh for conforto especially because he he's actually available batting average which as we just talked about is yeah, very rare yeah, and
1: with a career 291 and a career 340 bat- batting average on balls and play i don't think you have to get too fine with this and get into the stat cast and and poke under the hood too much. I mean, it looks like his wheels aren't gone yet and um and it looks like he's got pretty close to the same bad ball spray that he's always had. So, he looks like the 290 330 420 guy he's always been. Maybe a little bit more power cuz he's in a nice uh, park for his for his skill set. He hasn't really been in a park like this before. So, maybe you can believe in the in the little power outburst and and um yeah, I guess, you know, he was a Philly, but uh, but still, you know, this year in total has been the best for him ballpark-wise. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, for Howie Kendrick. So I, I think I would, I think, I, yeah, I'd love to do like a Howie-Matt-Joyce platoon. I think that would work really well if you could find a spot on your roster. And I think that that would work okay for your team in general because Howie Kendrick probably has a couple of eligibilities where you could use Howie Kendrick as your utility guy that you plug in, especially head to head. If you go Howie plus uh, Joyce, what you do is you give yourself two outfielders, so you can basically be platooning Howie and uh, Howie. Would, you know he's a right hander, but you can play him against right handers. And he
0: still has second base, so maybe you can finagle him into uh, right. middle or or second extra, on days when Joyce is playing. Extra plate appearances, yep.
1: yeah, or extra plate appearances on days off, and uh, a little bit of a power speed tandem where you play Joyce if you need the power and you play Kendrick if you need,
0: you need one of those stolen bases. I mean, it's not like he's a lock for the stolen bases, but, you know. I got one other guy mm-hmm. who kind of mixes the best of both worlds a little bit here. Well, maybe not as much power, but Corey Spangenberg does have 13 homers, eight stolen bases, and he's hitting .272 for the Padres. Playing time's guaranteed. Uh, I think he even plays against lefties, even though he, he himself is a lefty. Only 34% at ESPN, so there's going to be some availability in your shallower leagues do you like spangenberg better than either of the uh other two guys joyce or kendrick all righty no sorry we had a little uh technical error. weird i know we never have technical errors on never. this uh, show um did you have a final thought there on on spangenberg and, oh I, yeah as, I, as he rates among kendrick and joyce is he the top guy or is he where's he at
1: i think he's uh i, I think he's basically how kendrick uh with an unsafer batting average so uh, if you need the power a little more bit more. But more guaranteed
0: playing time, right, yeah, I would say? Yeah,
1: maybe. I mean, with Harper out, uh, Kendrick is playing a lot. Uh, I, that's true.
0: That's true. That's with,
1: true. with Spangenberg, uh, more a little bit more power maybe. Um, okay. But also a worse batting average.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. So you go Kendrick, Spangenberg, Joyce in terms of options? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, shallow leagues also. Curtis Granderson keeps playing. He's a lefty. You'll get the power. You will sacrifice the batting average. Kendrick. Curtis
1: Granderson is uh, another go-get-it guy.
0: Actually, he showed up on
1: uh, – on Andrew Perpetua did a piece where he actually tried to find that contact point out in front of the plate, and uh, Granderson profiles a lot like Justin Turner. So I, I believe in that power. In fact, that piece is pretty interesting because if you you go and, and look at some of the names, you know most of the names are names that you recognize at the top of, of guys who make the most contact. Uh, out in front of the plate, Brandon Belt, Matt Carpenter – um and then there's curtis granison right next to adam duvall you know yonder alonso who just changed that uh todd frazier kyle seager trevor story so a lot of guys who hit a lot of fly balls and get the ball out in front but the names that i think that were interesting that popped up were ian kinsler uh jason kipnis so i think with a healthy shoulder maybe next year we'll see a lot more power from jason kipnis um, and then, uh, later on Josh Reddick and Eduardo Escobar shows up on this list right ahead of Jose Bautista. So, and then Whit Merrifield, if you're wondering if the power is real, I think some of what is happening with Whit Merrifield is he's going to get the ball being a little bit more aggressive in the major leagues. Uh, yeah. So I, I think I, I think, I don't know. I don't want to go all, all in on Whit Merrifield cause he's so old. Um,
0: but I, I do like him a lot. I was actually looking at this today. And they're not the same players, so this comparison is really only in that they kind of came out of nowhere as a, uh, a middle infielder last year, and it reminded me a little bit of Eduardo Nunez uh, in the late twenties coming up, beasting out last year. He was number, he was a top ten uh, middle infielder, and he kind of held it, and it was with some power and and speed. Now his speed. Uh, Merrifield doesn't didn't have as much speed. hasn't run as much as Nunez did last year, but he also has a little bit more punch. And I'm just uh, like I said, they're not like direct comparisons for each mm-hmm. other. I was just kind of looking. I'm like, did anybody pop up on second base last year out of nowhere? And I was like, oh well, Nunez did, and he and he kind of held. And um, I, I don't know. I you look across that skill set on Merrifield, and it's it's hard not to believe in it going forward. So I'm, I I, I kind of like what he's doing. I was not a believer early. I kind of kept sloughing him off, sloughing him off, and he but just. We, kept and performing. we talked about
1: so. how we like how his uh, stolen base aptitude. He you know steals bases at such a high clip that you know at the very least next year I think we can say he'll do two seventy five and twenty five stolen bases. That's without adding the power in. So that's already, I think, a back-end MI in almost any league. And then you add in the upside that other people don't believe in a lane outburst, and then he holds that power. Then you can actually add value on top of that. You could probably draft him as a second-half MI and with the upside of a bottom-half starting second baseman.
0: I agree. Uh, so yeah, Whitmerfield somebody that we're we're definitely liking here. Let's talk about Yoan Moncada. He's going to the DL with uh, Shin Splints, I believe. But more importantly than that, he sucks again, man. I mean, thirty games, forty-four strikeouts and one hundred one or one hundred twenty-two plate appearances, three homers, uh, one eighty-eight, three twenty-eight, three fifty-six. That's another small sample, right? Last year was twenty plate appearances. We don't go we don't go worrying about any of that. But one hundred twenty-two is still small. I, I recognize that for a twenty-two year old. But here we are again with the uh, the obscene strikeout rate that's really holding him back. I like the 16% walk rate from Uncata, but I don't know what what what's going on here. He's just not hitting the ground running like uh, like we want him to.
1: Yeah, and another weird thing about him is he has uh, this ground ball fly ball mix of 50% ground balls to 30% fly balls. I've noticed. I actually wrote this up one time that um, there is a slight propensity among Cuban American baseball players to uh, to to lean ground ball heavy, and it really you know cratered careers in the past. I mean, if you're talking about uh, Rosne Castillo and Yandy Diaz, guys who hit the ball very hard and can pl- and cover the plate, they just hit too many ground balls. They just didn't you know capitalize on the power, especially given their defensive skill sets. You know they didn't have enough power to play their positions. So if you add in Moncada's inability to make contact then you're, you're saying, you know, he better be a second baseman. You know, he better be a second baseman. And even then, he may be, you know, a 230 hitting at second baseman that gets by on great defense and uh, is a little bit like a homeless person's Javier Baez, you know, uh, which he still could be, you know. That might be, I mean, that's what his, his projections right now are kind of like for a l- lower level Javier Baez, you know. A guy who in a full season would hit, 18 homers and steal 20 bases and hit 230.
0: Well, we've seen Baez evolve, right? Uh he was a big concern when he first came up. He had Baez did had 229 plate appearances of a forty-two percent strikeout rate when he came up, and that was terrifying, right? That's more plate appearances than Makata's had in the two samples put together. But now we've seen as Baez evolve this year. It's it's still at 30 or 29 percent, but 272, 310, 496, 20 homers, six stolen bases. So I, it looks like that's kind of the the trajectory that Moncada is looking for right now, uh, is to kind of get to where Baez is. I think I think Moncada is going to be well over drafted then if that's if that's what we're dealing with. I think the hype of Mankata, even with the uh, struggles he's had this year, will still carry over and leave him overdrafted in '18. Do you feel that way, or do you, th- or do you think that people are going to react to this current sample and say, "Okay, I got to back off on Mankata?
1: Yeah, it, he's not really going to have a lot of chance to ch- turn the narrative around. I mean, uh, you know, I guess he could have a, a two or three week stretch in September uh, that could change some minds, but it won't uh, change
0: the bottom line though. So for folks that don't dig in on a on a game log, yeah. It, it doesn't matter not, what kind of two weeks. It's
1: not. It's not the type of person that I uh, I go in all in on in terms of you know trying to. He's not a sleeper in terms of name value. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a sleeper in terms of contact rate. He's not a sleeper in terms of glam ball fly ball mix. You know. And I'm not saying that I can't ever think outside the box on those things. I, I, you know, I take chances on other players for other different reasons. But he doesn't, you know, check any of my boxes. You know, what I mean, it's 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 not easy to be like, oh, I'm gonna right now. The only reason I take him is because he's a special athlete. Yep,
0: and has the pedigree and 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 just a a, a dynamic athlete. I'm with you. So, but we've seen a lot of special
1: athletes, and he just went 17 to 25 on stolen base attempts. So it's not. You know, a Whit Merrifield situation where he steals every base he wants, um, and uh, it's not looking good you know, right now. I mean, it's it doesn't.
0: It, it's tough to have excitement. You know, if you
1: took the if you wiped the age off the box, it, it, there's a lot of similarities. I think even to Resnick Castillo, where he does well in the minor leagues when he can run a high BABIP on some ground balls, mm-hmm. uh, but when you get to the major leagues, a lot of those ground balls turn into outs. Take
0: advantage so. of lesser defense. And you know. and run that batting average up like you're saying. But he's
1: saying. 22, so like you know, if you're in a dynasty league, sure. If they're if they're selling low, you know this this is not a bad way to go. I mean, look at Byron Buxton. I think Byron Buxton is really one of the ways to look at. I this.
0: thought I thought that's who you were going to say when you said. Ruzney Castillo. That he that instead of instead of Castillo, I thought you were going to say Buxton. There is some some Buxton-esque behavior here so far with the. And again, Buxton had bigger samples of similar struggles. And now, when when you look at Byron Buxton and what he's been doing. You know, fine, he's having another good month. Great. Hit me up when he has, like, I don't know, two good months in a row. Even that I'll I'll, I'll take at this point. I'm not that sold, but Moncada um, v. Buxton, how do you see that playing out?
1: Mm. I think I'd take Buxton because at this point he's uh, ha- made the adjustments that Mankata has not
0: made, you know? Well, and he's got that Whitmerfield kind of speed where he's like, I want this stolen base, so I will yeah, get it. Yeah,
1: 22 out of 23. I mean, he's, yeah, so... At least you'll get, I think at least, like I'm saying, I think you'll at least get 250 batting average, uh, you know, 10 to 15 homers, one awesome white-hot stretch, one stretch where you debate dropping him, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, still kind of come back to that Maven name. I don't know. I, I'd rather... Uh, have a high floor, a little bit higher floor with my, my situation, which I think Buxton has. But, you know, if you did go and buy Buxton earlier this season, as when I was advocating Dynasty players kind of put together your Yonder Alonzo uh, you know, Triggs, Andrew Triggs combo, where you'd give a guy who's in the in the money you know, a, a couple of guys to plug holes, and you say, I want one major league young guy back even if there's he's had some shine taken off him that would have been a situation to go get Buxton. And if you did that and you only traded away, you know, some veterans that you weren't going to be keeping anyway, I think right now you'd be pretty happy about Buxton. So if you do the same right now for Moncada, you, as long as you don't trade away, you know, Corey Kluber, like real keep keepers and you trade away, you know, uh, older guys that you're not going to like Jeremy Hellickson and, uh, Brad Ziegler. And you know what I mean? Like here's some saves. Here's a guy who's, start you start yeah Yeah. sam Dyson here's some guys will start you some games here's the guys close you some games and i want this shine off of him yon Juan mancada then 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 do that
0: yeah i think i I think the centerpiece has to be one of these veterans that's kind of popped up adjusting smoke uh something like that don't go as the enticing being an
1: actual player that uh, that you might keep you know like that 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 could be part of i don't think because i'm not i'm not sure about it
0: i agree by the way um I wasn't suggesting that Whit Merrifield's faster than Byron Buxton. I was talking with regards to stolen base accuracy um, and and, and uh, ability. Uh, so I don't want comments about, did you just say Whitmerfield? Merrifield? No. By the way, he's not that far off. Uh, but Byron Buxton's second in sprint speed to only Billy Hamilton. And then Whitmerfield's Merrifield's only like eyeballing it here. He's only like 15th or so. And interestingly, Moncada is probably about f- – wealth here but hasn't shown it on the base paths all right you know let's wrap up with some pitching here our oldest chapman is out as closer it's going to be temporary i think they even said it's temporary and they've got 52 options that they can go to for saves guys that have done it uh at the highest level david robertson on their own team has been elite at it Don Betances has been elite at it and then if for some reason something happened with those two they could even try out tommy canely or freaking chad green like yeah i mean this bullpen runs deep so it makes sense that they would be able to say let's give him a breather let's put him in some lower leverage situations because things aren't working right now and one of the things that i want to be careful not to do whenever i see you know when whenever you see somebody like chapman struggling you see he still has 12.5 k's what's wrong that's still really good yeah it's really good but but you have to think about where he's coming from i mean it, it, it it's great if he were uh you know, somebody on the, <laughs> uh, on the twins, cause they never get strikeouts. So I'm just roasting the twins. Um, but he's coming down a strikeout and a half from last year, three strikeouts from two years ago. Like this is a big drop. Plus his walks are back up. They were down to 2.8 last year for Chapman. They're back up to 4.3. He's had success with that kind of walk rate, but he's starting to get hit too. And we've talked about this a little bit here and there. Um, that, that, that Chapman's been getting hit. But you did some some work on this. And what, what did you find with regards to Chapman and um, I think we're, uh, location?
1: I think we're seeing what the end is going to look like for him. And I think it may come swifter than, than any, uh think. because And I think this is also related to Matt Harvey. So what you have with some of these big fastball guys, and I, what I, the way I looked at it was who throws to the parts of the zone that have the lowest exit velocity, right? So that's command, right? Who who throws to the places? It's not always just the corners that's up in the zone. There's different places. So who throws to the places that have the lowest exit velocity? And, you know, at the top of the list were all guys like Greg Holland. There were a couple Rockies, but it's it's not because of what's actual exit velocity. It's about league exit velocity and throwing to those places. So what the Rockies have done is said, we just want big fastballs. And so a lot of the guys who have big fastballs don't have good command, and I think that I think that goes hand in hand. If you throw 99, it's sometimes a little bit harder to, to throw it in one spot. So what you do is you throw it to the middle of the zone, and you say, I don't think you can throw a, you can hit my hundred. So I'm gonna you know aim generally towards the zone, maybe up, maybe down, but not. I'm not gonna pick around the corners like Kyle Hendricks because I, I can't even with 99, right? Uh, so uh, so what happens is that these big you have these big velocity guys who basically throw. Dick shots, you know. I mean, Danny Salazar, and when we're like, "What is going on with Danny Salazar?" The velocity's not down that much. Well, you know what? Actually, the velocity was down like a mile per hour, and we just didn't think it was. We didn't think it was that big a deal. But since he's always kind of throwing to the middle of the zone, if it's not 97 and it's 96, or if it's 95, you know, all of a sudden the hitters are starting to time it up. So Chapman is bottom three when it comes to throwing to places in the zone that have low exit velocity. And so that means to me that he's a guy uh, that uh, has no command. And that's fine when you're throwing 100. I think that's what people said. Don't walk anybody. So just throw that thing towards the middle zone. Nobody can hit it anyway. And if he's got 100 and he's got a 90-mile-an-hour slider, then, then he's fine. But, and right now he's even throwing 100, but the spin is down on it. So I don't think the fastball is playing as big as it was. And someday it's going to be 97. It's going to be 96. It's going to be 95. And when he's throwing to the middle of the zone and throwing ninety five, I think we're gonna see a lot more almost like Fernando Rodney esque outings and in, in, in years. Uh, wow. You know, a, or or he's gonna be like Rodney and he's gonna avoid the zone more and uh, and, and walk and, and So and a lot and of guys. either like either like Rodney with, you know, the blow ups or either like Rodney with the the walks, in some ways I, I sort of I could see him. Uh, kind of going in that direction where he's a volatile guy who keeps getting a lot of chances but isn't quite the elite closer that he was at the beginning of his career
0: so well and he's you know he's going to be 30 next year chapman is 414 innings relievers can burn out uh, pretty quickly too right i mean you think about the elite ones that that hold on and and it's, it's it's great that they're able to but that's not usually the trajectory of a reliever even some of the great ones can burn out very Yeah, quickly. i'd rather uh and it's not like he was without flaws because he's always had command issues when you throw eight million yeah, miles an hour
1: you know i'd rather even wait uh, and with the, the season that edwin diaz has had i feel like you could wait 10 rounds and get edwin diaz and in terms of strikeout yep. rate and raw stuff, you'd be—I don't think you'd be that far off. And in terms of age, you'd be—you know—five years younger, or whatever. So,
0: and he could, and Edwin Diaz could jump up and 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 get to. Chapman Prime sort of levels. Like I, 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 think that's possibly in there. And when you talk about the cost difference that you're saying, yeah. uh, I, I completely agree with you there. It just seems like Chapman. Somebody, I'm kind of slowly moving away from because um, the cost isn't going to. Really I don't go see. Down. I don't
1: see Kenley Jansen as as as. Uh, I see Kenley Jansen as definitively better because Kenley Jansen relies a little bit more on movement. Uh, he relies a little bit more on command. I think he has actually decent command compared he 's not showing up at bottom three like Chapman on these lists uh, and from watching him, I think he has slightly better command and it, you know I think that cutter has unique movement whereas chapman 's fastball is pretty much a straight fastball. It just happens to be really hard
0: yeah, it used to be one oh three and then it comes down to ninety six ninety seven and that 's still good, but it 's not something that guys don 't see
1: and, and yeah exactly in the yeah in the in the context of baseball today it 's not not quite the same
0: yeah all right you know uh last last bit here chris stratton is an interesting guy um you know kind of jumping down here to a deep level to a deep league sort of guy former prospect for them that uh you know i remember him getting some hype years ago and it kind of just meandered along now he's up doing some things had a 10 strikeout game that uh, nick pollock wrote about our, our our new edition from pitcher list uh deep dove on his 10 strikeout game you wrote about him over at the athletic with regards to his spin what were your findings on chris stratton and is he somebody we should be paying attention to? Attention to in fantasy.
1: I think one of the things that's really interesting about Chris Stratton is that he represented an archetype, so he can actually help us talk about the what we've learned maybe so far in the cast era and the things that we've seen from other pitchers that are like him because he is in a lot of ways Seth Lugo.
0: Ah, a, a, a favorite of a lot of people coming in, and then you got hurt uh, in WBC and. Now he's finally back, but uh, go ahead. Tell, me, tell us more.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that we thought was amazing was we breathlessly reported his StatCast record-breaking curveball spin. And uh, and Stratton is actually third uh, this year to, to Lugo. So Stratton has top three curveball spin, very similar. And in another way, Stratton doesn't have great other pitches, and neither does Lugo. And so we're stuck being like, well, how much is, is curveball spin actually worth? we know that's not worth as much as fastball spin. So, you know, it's a little bit more up in the air about what the value is of curveball spin. But at the same time, it's still, uh, Lugo's pitch is very good. Andrew Bailey's curveball, uh, is it Bailey? I forget who the top three is now, right? It's not on the top of my head. But in any case, the curveballs that have a lot of spin at the top are usually good curveballs. Uh, So I think in general, it is a pretty good thing to have. But you kind of have to say, okay, that's, he has a good curveball. <laughs> that's, that's it. So Lugo, Which did he so have he anything? Did that. did he get, yeah, that's it. That's, he, had a, he had a good curveball. And so with Lugo, the other stuff didn't come together and health didn't come together.
0: Uh, and, and Lugo throws like 91, right?
1: Yeah, and Stratton throws 91, 92. So you're very close to the same thing. However, Stratton has top third of the league fastball spin. And ah. so that's something that Lugo didn't have. So Stratton... Uh, has a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. Lugo has a 91. I would say Lugo has a has a bad fastball, and Stratton has an average fastball because it's below average in velocity, but it's a, way above average in, in terms of spin. And uh, with this command stat, Stratton is uh, top half, top third in the league with the command stat that, that I've been using. So... I think Stratton has better command. I think he has better spin. So I think I'm going to give him an average fastball. Now he's already a little bit ahead of Lugo because he's got an average fastball with the plus curveball. Now you go to the slider. He says he was drafted for the slider. You can see some of the sliders are very good. Uh, He says he's going to use a changeup for ground balls. Every third changeup is good. So there's some upside, and I think the upside might get him to like a Wainwright territory. Because Wainwright never really had like a he did have a i know he had some good velocity in the pen and he kept some of that as a young guy, but you know mid career Adam Wainwright through ninety one ninety two you know so Stratton could get there uh you know have the curveball, have the command, have the nice spin on the fastball. And, uh, and just use the other pitches as, uh, show me or maybe the slider takes an advantage, takes a, takes a step forward and that's how he gets to Wainwright territory. If he doesn't, I think he could be a Tyler Chatwood. Tyler Chatwood has a high spin fastball and a high spin curveball and away from home has been like a 340 ERA guy. So Stratton would be the guy who, like the reverse Chatwood, where he'd be 340 at home, maybe not as usable on the road. And then if it doesn't work out at all, he's, he's gonna be Lugo. So, you know, I think that, you know, spin helps us, uh, comp these guys better, you know, uh, helps us describe the fastball, how good the fastball is and helps us find other comps. And if you, if you look around, these guys are basically in a way, spin rate comps, you know? Um, and, uh, I think that's a good, it's also a good, uh, way to help people understand floor and upside and, you know, most likely outcome. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I could give you Ch- Tyler Chatwood you know, in San Francisco next year, you might be into it.
0: Well, that's the thing, too, because Chatwood's like a road-only sort of guy because you don't want to use him in Coors, um, and, and it works – but obviously you would love to use Stratton in his home parks, and then you could pick spots on the road. You might actually get to use uh, Stratton more than a Tyler Chatwood, even if they were comparables uh, across the board. The venue would, would, would help Stratton be more worthwhile. So is he somebody that maybe your spot starting in the home and favorable matchups down the stretch here?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, he's, uh, I think he's useful. I think it's also interesting that after the 10 strikeout game that Nick uh, so ably uh, highlighted – he came back and had a good start with one strikeout. With one strikeout, yep. So, and, you know, and I think that is partially because he he's a top third of the league in throwing inside to lefties. So he has a four seam. He has that four seam. He has decent command of it. Has decent spin. He's able to place that on the inside uh, for lefties. That means if they're if they're taking it, it can mean called strikes and then strikeouts. But if they're swinging at it, it can mean jam shots, uh, pop ups. Uh, and, uh, if you can go in there, Mark Melanson's built a career about throwing inside the lefties and getting pop-ups and getting weak grounders. Uh, and he's hit like two batters in his life. Uh, Melanson has. So, you know, if you kind of get that combo of good command stat ability to throw inside and not hitting a lot of guys, um, you know, I think that means it's really hard to, to judge command, but I think if, you give me those three things, I say that guy has good command.
0: All right. I, I like it. Um, and by the way, you mentioned kind of the, the the difference between those two starts there with the 10 strikeouts to the one strikeout. Uh, his swinging strikes went from 14 to 7, and his ground balls went from 6 to 11. So it was just a different approach. And, you know, it'd be nice if he was a consistent strikeout guy, but I don't think that's going to going to be what stratton is but i kind of like a guy who he's has really one of those
1: guys who kind of feels his way yeah, along I diverse think, a approach yeah. right
0: he can kind of attack lineups differently based on what they're showing him and yeah. there's going to be some bad starts because he's not an overpowering guy like detroit Pop. but to him.
1: some extent like dan straley is not like a comp in terms of spin and stuff but if if stratton can be that level of headiness and have four pitches you know straley's four pitches they're not all great but he he uses them effectively mm-hmm. All the time to to get the most out of what he's got. Um, I think you know you could get some some kind of australia esque uh, outcomes from Stratton. Too. I like it.
0: I like it. In the first four letters of their last name are the same, which is very interesting and very fantasy. <laughs> Easy <useful>. to
1: remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, you know, it took uh, fifty two recordings to do this. We'll see and you how have a lot of editing do. I'm sorry, sorry about that. It stitches together. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, what are you up I hope to Hope the tonight? listening
1: experience is okay for you guys. I'm out to see the Rangers and the A's, and I Boom. have done. Very little prep work because I'm
0: so. <laughs> far I gave behind. you some great ideas. We can't talk about them on the air. What I asked Twitter. I said,
1: this is a thing that I do when I'm not prepared. Is I asked Twitter to do my preparation. Who do you uh, want me to talk And they to? asked uh, me to ask Rudneto door if I sprinkle water on him, will more Ruggenetto doors appear? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. And then uh, my favorite one that you and I discussed was asking Alex Claudio how he has success with a two mile basketball. <laughs> so good luck with that. Uh, you and I will be back next week. We'll figure it out if it's going to be our normal Thursday or if we have to do Friday again. But uh, we definitely wanted to get on board this and week. Sunday, after soon missing last week, we'll have a new
1: week. recording software and we're going to try it all again. Oh.
0: It, it, it'll, it it'll be great I, I think it's it'll glorious. be next week I, I can't do this again yes, this was not fun. anyway, have a great weekend <laughs> and i will uh, I will talk to you next week. All right, thanks for listening.